welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Praise God. If you've got a Bible this morning, turn to the book of Kings, 1 Kings and chapter 19. And... Uh, May God help us this morning as you're turning there. I'm going to pray that God would just give us uh, a sense of uh, his presence through this word and maybe minister to our hearts. If you have a hungry heart today, I'm trusting that God will feed you. Amen. Father, I thank you this morning. Thank you for these precious lives, these brothers and sisters. Thank you for those who are watching today online with us, Father. Thank you, Lord, for your word that's going forth from this pulpit. And I pray that one more time, God, you will speak again to all of our lives, God. We pray that you will minister your word deeply into our spirit, that we will gather strength from it, Lord, that we will move forward with conviction, with courage, with faith, uh, see signs following. We pray for all our families, Lord, and we pray, Lord God, an anointing upon them. Keep us in the love of God, we pray now, Lord, as we come around your precious word. In Jesus' name, we ask all these things. Amen. 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 Praise God. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more so, if I don't make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, it's enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by, the, by his head was a cake baked on coals, and a jar of water, so he ate and drank and lay down again. And then the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that food for forty days and forty nights, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And, he, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind toward into the mountains and broke the rocks into pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after an earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And so it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in, in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, 
God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way into the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazel as king over Syria. And you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. And we leave the reading at that. It's amazing some of the, the biggest defeats can happen after some of the greatest victories in your life. And this was the story of Elijah. Israel is God's people. It was the elected nation that God in his sovereignty elected to bring about, obviously, the salvation of the world. That was always the plan. From the Garden of Eden, from the fall of man, the plan of redemption stood even more ancient than the fall. Apostle John, in, in, the, in the last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelations, he sees a lamb as if it was slain before the foundations of the world giving you a glimpse that salvation was not a reaction to the Garden of Eden. Salvation was a plan from the beginning. It wasn't born out of chaos. It wasn't born out of God was on his back foot here. When God gave us agency to be able to, 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 be able to think on our own and agency to be able to have free will, with that came all the possibilities, but God had always made a way. Amen. I just want to tell you, whatever possibilities of your life, God still has a way because he's far smarter than you, okay? Hallelujah. I play chess. I love chess. My wife says I play too much chess, but I, I'm doing it because they say it keeps your mind from getting stagnant as you get older. And God only knows as I get older, I need a little bit of help. Amen. And uh, there's, uh, you know, God is the master chess player. They, they, you know, I, I think one of the world great chess player, he was, he was asked a question one day. He says, how many moves ahead do you think? Because, you know, they say a great chess player can move six moves ahead or eight moves ahead. I'm probably up to maybe three moves ahead in the game. Maybe. And uh, so they asked, I can't remember who he was, but the, the question was asked, and they said, well, how many moves ahead do you think? And he thought for a while, he says, only one, but it's always the right one. <laughs> that was a great answer. And so uh, Israel, Israel are, are God's sovereign choice to bring about the salvation of the world. God chose Abraham, a man, out of that man he promised seeds, out of that seed he's going to bring a nation, and out of that nation is going to give them a homeland of Israel. And out of that homeland is the beachhead for the Savior to be born. The Savior being the Lord Jesus Christ. But this nation had been brought out of darkness. They have many promises. After 500 years of bondage in Egypt, God brought them out to the mighty hand of Moses and uh, to the ten plagues. And he brought them to the Red Sea. And you know, they sojourned in the wilderness for 40 years under miraculous hand of God. And they had been they had been, you, you could say, people that had experienced miracles unparalleled. Really, people run all over, people are going to Medjugorje and knock in all these places to, to see some statue moving around the place. And, you know, knock yourself out if that's what you want to do. These people lived under all that and they saw the most incredible things. But yet, they came into their promised land and began to forget the Lord. And in that land, the land of Canaan, they were told to evict the, 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 the squatters there because they were very wicked people. The Phoenician gods were there, uh, you know, and, 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 and very quickly the children of Israel began to, they began to backslide in, on the revelation that they had, you know, and they, became, they, they started to look at life a little bit lower. And that's always a dangerous thing, friends, when you start to lower your doctrine and lower your view of what God, why God has you here. Um, and then all of a sudden you, be, you become very limited in, the, in, in, in the, what the plan is to look like. Uh, many Christians, they, they build, as Brooks says, you build too low, who, he who builds beneath the sky. And, and, and that is always a failure of the flesh, that we build 
just into the sort of the, the, whatever smells, tastes, feels, touch, and hears, the, the natural senses of man. And Israel's began to succumb to that very quickly. They began to adopt a lot of the Phoenician practices, the Canaanite practices, and they, they began to fall away from the Lord. And, and, and Ahab now is king, and he's a very wicked king. He's, he's married to Jezebel. She is a daughter of the, the king of Sidon. She's a Sidonian. She's also a, a Baal priestess, a high priestess for Baal, Baal worship. Baal was probably the most you could say probably the, 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 the most um, well-known God of that region. Baal, his name means Lord or Lord of the skies. Um, and so he, had, he, was, he was associated with prosperity. And, and so, you know, you know, there was that, you could say, and even the name Baal started to get homogenized as a sort of name for God among the, the Jews that were beginning to, you could say, erode their heritage. They knew the name of God, Jehovah. They knew his names. They knew his revelation. It was given to them. But all of a sudden, you can have the sort of plausible argumentative ones among you, the sort of liberal sort of theologians. Who say, well, Baal just means the Lord of the skies. And surely it's just another revelation of Jehovah. I have heard that one recently as well. I don't know about you, but turn on. I want to tell you, Allah is not the God of the Bible, okay? just want to tell you straight up, okay? It's not another name for God. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we can be saved. The name is Jesus. Not just Jesus. It's Jesus the Christ, the anointed one. Amen. There's football players called Jesus, and they're not the saviors of the world. It's Jesus the Christ, amen, the anointed one. He's God's man, Amen. And so they began to drift from the revelation at some levels, and you know, they begin to adopt Phoenician and, 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 and Canaanite practices. And, and as a result of that, the, 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 the lamp of the Lord was becoming quickly extinguished, and then people were reverting back to a behavior no different than their predecessors. Low and, and, and wickedness began to, to reign because these, these religions have a great appeal to the natural man. I mean, who doesn't want prosperity? You know, when all of a sudden your focus is about this world, about your career and how big your house is and how much money you have, and, and it's a proof of how, what sort of big shot you are, I want to tell you, that's not how God gauges things. Yeah. Jesus says, you know, foxes have holes, the birds of the earth have the nest, the son of man had no place to lay his head. Well, would you be, where would your theology be with him? He also said a man's life does not consist of the abundance of which he has. And that's what these neo-religions and the variants of even Christianity that went into prosperity, that's what they make the gospel out to be. But that's not the gospel. That's not the revelation of God. But the Jews were delighted because oh, all things prosperous. In actual fact, it's probably the greatest fault of Judaism in its, in its limited understanding of the revelation that was given to them, that they think all we want is a, a savior that would kick out the Romans Give us a fair tax system, you know, have nobody rob our goods, and let us get on with our lives and prosper. Really? Really? Is that what it is? They don't seem to see that Christ came to save you from yourself. He came to save you from those beggarly desires and those ones that would just keep you hemmed in to a life of just being slaves to the, the very base elements of our world around us. He came to set you free. He came to open up your mind. Open up your spirit so that it could soar into heavenly places. Amen. Open up your heart so you could dwell with God. Yeah, how far higher is that, friends, than just saying, my, leave my feel the potatoes alone. Thank you very much. Don't take too much taxes from me. Don't beat me up. Have a nice rule on the earth. No more despotic behavior. Oh, no, friends. It's far bigger than that. It's knowing God. 
It's experiencing him. It's walking with him again in the cool of the day. Amen. That's what God wants. But no, they settle for lower. Always lower. Always for what I can smell, taste, touch, feel, and hear. I'm going to tell you, some of us falling into that sort of livelihood and behavior as Christians. And you know what? You end up little different than the world and how you manifest. And that's what's, that's what was happening here quickly. And then all of a sudden, this prophet, Elijah, the Tishabite from Gilead, yeah, that sounds like, yeah, you could write a book. Sounds like, you know, some sort of cowboy coming out of the, the trail into the town to, to kind of get rid of the, you know, the corrupt sheriff, doesn't it? Oh, this lone ranger leaps off the pages of our Old Testament. Just when the nation is backsitting, turning to Baal, the Lord of the skies, the prosperity God. You know, the one that wants to just put more money in your pockets and tell you you're a big man if you have more money in your pockets. And all of a sudden he comes in and he arrests uh, Ahab the king. And he meets Ahab on the road. Ahab is, and he's in the previous chapters. I'm giving you just an update. Ahab is you know, doing his business, being as kingly as he wants to look like. You know, he's, I think he's got you know, definitely up here small man syndrome. That's all I can say. You know, because he, he just, he, he, you read his character, there was something wrong with this man from day one. He was a very sensuous, foolish man. But he meets Ahab and he says, Ahab, there will be no rain and there won't be any dew until I say so. Now, we read over the narrative there. You can imagine the king could have cut his head off, but there was something about the anointing of this man that he didn't. But what it was, it was a direct competition. It was a direct affront to what he was serving. Baal is the Lord of the skies, Lord of the water, Lord of the rain. And all of a sudden he says, there won't be a drop of water either from the dew of the earth or from the clouds until I say so. Now let's see what Baal can do. And for three years, this drought happened. I'm sure that Ahab went away and said, ah, oh, that's some unhinged, radical, evangelical, you know, you know, look at him with his billboard or whatever might be handing out his dopey tracks on the sides of the streets are, you know, hailing down the name of Jesus, <laughs> you know, and off he went, probably joked with his caravan as he left. You see that nutcase, you know, predicting doom that he has power greater than Baal, the Lord of the heavens. But let me tell you, all of a sudden the rain stops. And nobody's paying any attention until the grass begins to turn brown. The commerce can change like that, friends. The prosperity can change so fast. So when he's like a short few years ago, you know, everyone thought, oh, we'd never have a war in Europe again. Who would have really thought that? The war to end all wars. That's what they all call those world wars. And we can see all over the world conflicts everywhere emerging. The nature of man is exactly the same. It's pervert. It's wicked. It's selfish to the core. It's self-destructive. It's, 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 it's just awful. It's vindictive. It's spiteful. It can't help itself. And all the prosperity. You know, I remember before COVID hit, and they're all saying how they, the, the stock markets were soaring. Oh, summertime is here and the living is easy. Oh, prosperity, everybody's delighted. People are going on sun holidays. People are buying houses in Turkey or whatever it might have been at the time before all these crashes begin to happen. And then all of a sudden, this economic shake happens, you know, and things begin to die on the vine. You know, Israel is a, it's a, it's a hot part of the world. I've been there a number of times. I remember here just a few years ago in Ireland, you know, you know we probably just had our summer last week, so I'm very sorry about that. <laughs> That's about five days. 
But I remember about three or four years ago, we, had, we did have a summer last maybe about six weeks, maybe seven weeks of great weather, and everyone is delighted at the beginning. And about day three, everyone's saying, it's too hot. I mean, we, we're never happy. We're just never happy. It's too cold. It's too wet. It's too hot. And then it went on. And then all of a sudden, the, gra- the grass begins to turn brown and begins to die. And the farmers are saying, we won't have enough feed for the winter. We're going to have to import feed. And uh, uh, you know, Kieran Mead's one of our farmers. He'll tell you, yeah, the importing feed is very expensive. Then the, pr- the products go up and the price goes up. And, and that was just one six-week spell where they were rationing water. I mean, imagine in Ireland rationing water. I mean, that is just crazy. You know, I mean, we have more water here. We could give water to the world, and yet we're rationing it. So that happened a few years ago. But here in Israel, when there's no rain and no dew, you know, everything begins to fall apart. Everything begins to fall apart. I want to tell you, friends, that's all God has to do in this world. Change the ecosystem a little bit. See, I believe the one behind climate change is him. That's just my theory, okay? And in this new world, that's my view. And my view has to be respected. Whether you think it's unscientific or not. I'm not saying the word of God here is in the castles. I believe really that God is in control of the climate. And if he wants to turn it up hot and cold here, friends, because he needs to get our attention, well, so be it. And if you're running around here thinking that the world's going to come to an end, it eventually will, and it may well do. But the issue is not about coming to an end. The issue is what are you going to do when you meet God? Because whether you meet him because of a climate catastrophe or you get hit by the number 7A bus, it doesn't matter. You're going to have to talk to him one day and stand before him. And so this was happening at a calamitous space. The wealth of the nation began to collapse. Livestock are dying. And now three years later, in the previous chapter, which I didn't read in chapter 18, he meets Obadiah, the prophet Elisha meets Obadiah, because Ahab and Obadiah, they're kind of close. Obadiah is a prophet, but you know, he's, he's, I don't know what he is. But yeah, he's, he's somehow connected to Ahab, yet a believer. And, and, and he's gone out with Ahab. And it's so bad in the country that the king himself has to get out of his castle, go with his herds and try to find fresh water. That's how bad it's got the nation. The king, how unkingly does he have to go back to becoming a rancher? Because everyone is economically dying. And so he meets Obadiah. He says, tell Ahab I want to meet with him. Tell him there will be rain shortly, but I want to meet with him. And we know the meeting was on Mount Carmel. That's where the great clash happened. The great battle of who is God, where he summoned before the nation. And I've been in the Mount Carmel on a number of occasions, on a few occasions, and Carmel's beautiful where the, where the great contest happened. Right at the peak, right below the basin of it, is the Megiddo Valley where that last battle will be fought. And so there was this, there's this uh, you can imagine how the riders went out to the nation, to the four corners of, of the nation, and began to say, hey, Elijah, the prophet that brought this three-year drought, is going to be on Mount Carmel, and he's challenged Ahab to bring all the prophets of Asherah and all the prophets of Baal, and there's going to be a competition there, which God is the God that will answer by fire. And the people came, the Bible says all the nation assembled there. So outside of Moses' time, this is the probably first time in the scripture such an, an, an epic event happens. This is all just a previous chapter. And we know the story very well. Elisha is there, the, the 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah are there. The idea is that they're going to build a, a, an altar each. They're going to slaughter a bullock, and whichever God will come down and answer by fire, that is the God, and the nation will serve that God. And of course, 
the, four, the, the, the prophets of Baal and Asherah set up their altar, they cut their bullock, they start dancing around, they're, they're, they're hours crying, they're, they're going hypnotic in themselves, they're, 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 they're doing, it's like going to India and watching some crazy sort of ritual going on, they're running around, and when that wasn't working for them, they start to cut themselves. I wonder, is this the pre-movement to the modern Pentecostal movement? But anyhow, that's just another story. They were just jumping around the place, thinking that animation, and thinking that, you know, and you know, I want to get into some of our minds here. Let me tell you this. Just because you get excited and animated doesn't bring the presence of God. It's not a gauge of whether God's in the house. You see people manifesting. You see people doing stuff. You have to know in the spirit what God's doing. Not, 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 not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, Jesus said. Yeah, but I also want to say this, but when the presence of God truly comes, you can't shut down animation and manifestation. It happens, amen. It, it, you can't, you can't just, oh, God was here. That was really nice this morning. God moved powerfully. That's too English for me, okay? That's too white for sure. That's definitely too white. Sorry, John. You understand what I'm saying this morning? <laughs> well, you, Patrick, you're half English as well. Go away. <laughs> and they're jumping around, and, and then Elisha, after he starts to mock them a little bit he shouldn't have done that but he did it's hard not to mock some of the things today i have to be honest with you but we don't need to mock we need to demonstrate christ amen we need to show him as alive and so elisha builds his altar he gets these 12 stones now they're big stones i want you to we can scurry over the the narrative of the bible very easy and miss the trauma if you think that serving god is not going to cause you to sweat then you're an idiot we are called laborers. It's not some fluffy title. We have to labor for the gospel. Sometimes, friends, you know, it's great to come here on a Sunday morning on the back of a week's planning and loads of stuff. You just think we just swan in and swan off. No, it's not. It, it's it, it, everything that we do for the Lord. There's, there's a cheer of people that work and work diligently and hard for the Lord every week. It just doesn't happen. You know, someone once said there's three sorts of people in church. Those who make things happen, those who watch things happening, and those who walk around asking what's happening. You know? And so, you know, it just doesn't happen. And this man, he's a sole artist here. He has to build this altar with his own hands. Now, you take 12 big stones and gather them and draw them up the, up, up the mountainside and plonk them there for everyone to see. And then he has to go slaughter a bullock. Now, I know you go to Dunn stores and get your meat or the local butcher. But that's not the original form of it, okay? It normally comes in a beast that's pretty big. Here, me will tell you, they're, they're, they're pretty huge. Got four legs, the horns some of them have. Big old bullock. And he has to slaughter that beast. And the reason I'm telling you this is because in his, in his desire to serve the Lord, the man is becoming naturally exhausted. He's in the heat of the sun, on him all day. He's built his altar. He's puffing. He's not a, man. He's not a young man. He's not an old man either, but he's not a young man. But he was a man. And that's what we forget about it. He was human like you and I. He got tired. He got fatigued. He was right in the will of God, but he was slowly exhausting. He was getting to the stage, you know, where you know, he's gasping for breath. He would have been because he's in the middle of a, a probably 110 degree heat, bearing down upon him, slaughtering this bullock, putting it to pieces and putting it on the altar. I can imagine him leaning and going, Okay, I can't draw the water, guys. Get 12 things of water and throw it over the sacrifice. That's the way it would have been. You think he was Superman. The Bible says a man was, Elijah was a man like us with like passions. He was just like us, friends. He wasn't a Superman. He was a man. 
The only superman in the Bible is a man called Jesus. The only superman in the Bible. Everybody else was men of like passions. Men that were faulty to the core. Men that did stupid things. It's amazing how God used any of them. When you look back at your catalog of those that he used in the scriptures, you scratch your head. David, an adulterer, a murderer. Yes, he was. He murdered Uriah, an honorable man. Took his wife. Disgraceful behavior out of him. He lied when he went to the, to the king at Abatar, where, where, went to the priest. I can't remember the name right now, but he lied saying that he was sent to get Goliath's sword. And as a result, 74 of the priests were slaughtered because of his lies and his deceit. 74 innocent men. A whole village of men, women, and children slaughtered as a result as well. All because of his lying. So David, Moses, and you have a, imagine having Moses greet you on a Sunday morning at Cork Church. Thank God it was, it, it was, it was uh, Teddy this morning greeted me with that lovely smile. <laughs> imagine it was Moses. Good morning, Moses. Which sort of Moses do I have? Is it the nice one or the murderous one? The angry one? Most of those guys wouldn't even be ushers in our church. They would have gone through a lot of counseling before Pastor Steve would allow them to pass on the volunteer list into functioning at our doors. And yet God used them. Isn't that amazing? Does that teach you something about our God this morning? He takes faulty men and women. He pours his kindness and his greatness into them. And despite their failures, friends, he, make, he brings himself to reputation through them. And so this man, Elisha, no small task. And we know the end of the story. He calls down the fire upon the altar where the others couldn't do it. And the altar is completely consumed. The stones are consumed. The water is licked up. It is so hot. It burns all the stones as well. And the people, they're probably the bones of a million people across the Megiddo are hearing it and seeing it from a distance and hearing it, what's happening. You see, no, I don't. What do you see? The fires come down on Elijah's sacrifice. It's like a flash, like a brilliant lightning struck at and it says, the whole nation cried out, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And there was this sense of conviction that fell upon God's people that immediately Elijah says, God, get those false prophets and bring them over to this brook. And he executed them. Might sound harsh to us, but these are the very men that advocated child ritual sacrifice and sexual abuse, friends. These are the very ones that debased the nation and brought him into such horrendous. And he said, you have done such injustice to our people. You will not live. And he, he did that. And then he goes to Ahab and he says, Ahab, get in your chart and, and go because the water is coming. And he went up a mountain and he prayed and he prayed earnestly. He's up that mountain praying for water and he's there. Seven times he's praying. Goes asking his servant to go and nothing happening. Eventually he sees the cloud the size of a man's fist and he tells him to get quickly, the water is coming. That's all happening. Then Ahab gets back to the palace and that's where we started reading from. And he tells his wife that witch all that happened. And she sends out one word. May the gods do to me even more severely what you did to them, unless your life is like theirs by this time tomorrow. And it struck such fear into him. It, it struck such fear in him. Now you could sit back and say, what's wrong with this man? He just saw the power of God. He just saw a revival across the nation. But I want to tell you, he was exhausted. And he was vulnerable. And he was emotional. And he was spent. And he ran. He ran with such fear. And he ran into the wilderness. 
He's exhausted, the Bible says. And there he fell down and he prayed for death. Now you may not have done that, but I have prayed for death. There's times in my life and ministry here at the church we went through sometimes, and I've shared it with you in the past, there was a period of maybe two years. My staff, I knew they knew there was something going on with me. They had to have known. I couldn't get out of bed before 11.30. 12 o'clock, I couldn't get the blankets. I was so depressed. I was so upset. I was so tormented over, you know, the fighting within the spheres without or whatever it is. All that hitting me, exhausted, exhausted, trying to get into the colony, exhausted, trying to do a building project, exhausted, trying to raise finances and see God move only to have attacks from the enemy. And it led me to untypical behavior, struggles within. And it, was, it was a dark place. And, you know, I want to tell you, if you haven't been there, then you're not long enough in the journey because it will happen to you too. But I want to tell you, there's a God that still cares. Amen. Life is not an easy life. It's a difficult life. It's easy at the start, friends. It starts to get progressively more difficult as you get older. It does. It doesn't get easier. It gets tougher. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank God this morning that you have a God that cares for you. And this man is exhausted. He's praying for death. That's not untypical. Jeremiah woed the day that he was born. The Apostle Paul, when he was in Asia Minor, says we were there in Asia Minor, and he said we even despaired of life itself. These were great men, good men, but they became exhausted doing the right things. They were serving the Lord. They were spent, and the enemy comes in every time. You do a youth weekend, and it's great. Things happen at the other young people get saved, and the same youth leaders or workers go back, and then all of a sudden, there's a car crash or lose your job or broke your leg or someone comes against you. Horrendous. And that's what happened here. It's such a high in the mountain. The enemy came in with an accusation, and it led him in fear because he was tired and exhausted, and he cried for death. But thanks God this morning, God does bring you to those places. And I tell you why. Because there was something that God had to go after in Elijah. See, Elijah loved God and wanted to serve him, but he had to iron out some quirky theology that Elijah had. Elijah didn't have it all right, neither do you or I. See, Elijah, he's thinking, this is, God's going to kill me. Uh, what a mess up. Look what I've done to the testimony of the Lord. After all this great display, now I'm the one that's running. And Jezebel has won the hour. Surely God is going to be so angry with me. Surely God is going to swap me one. That's the theology, isn't it? That's his thinking. Oh, God is unpredictable here. I haven't, I haven't measured up, so therefore his tone is going to change with me very quickly. So I might as well pray for my own debt, rather, you know, might as well pip him to the post. I, I don't know what his thinking was, but I tell you one thing. It was because he didn't understand who he served. Yeah. It's possible to do great things with God and still get it wrong. Yeah. Great men of God, I won't name the names that I could. I could name some men, names here that I, I knew of. Ended up very bitter at the end of their ministries because they never understood that God loved them. And so in this trauma for this man, in this time of trial, no, the angel of the Lord, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, a Christ appearance in the Old Testament. At his weakest moment, he came in, he puts some cakes of bread and water alongside him, wakes him up, he says, arise and eat. I don't think he says, get up and eat. I don't think you read that into the narrative, not at all. He didn't see, see Elisha in his mind, he has, he has rehearsed what he's going to say to God. Oh, ah, ah, you know, and he did it, it twice. Oh, the nations turned against you and, 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 uh, and, and I'm the only one left and, and now they're trying to kill me. And, 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 all, and every time he's tried to give his excuses. Have you ever felt like that? At all? You just have to prepare your statement for God. 
because you know you're going to meet him shortly. He's going to be in the counter, and he's preparing himself. He's trying to cover, you know, behind. He's trying to prepare himself as to why he is where he is, and each time he's reacting. Oh God, well, you've all done this, and I'm here, and blah, 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 and all comes out to him in a kind of spurt, and God's not concerned about that. He says, arise and eat, for the journey's too great for you. And he eats, and the Bible says he, he strengthened himself, and he, he, that food went on. He strengthened him for 40 days, and he got to Horeb, the mountain of the Lord. And there, that's where God has to meet with him, and God has to meet with us all at that mountain place to earn out something. Because if you think that God just uses you, and then when you mess up, he's just going to dust his hands of you and cast you to one side, you have no idea who you're serving. That is not our God. That is not the God of the Bible. That is not the God that has, who is the God of love and, and kindness and mercy. What our God does is, is when you mess up, I'm going to get compensation for you through the life of another. Someone else is going to, is going, when you've messed up, he's going to come and gird up. Amen. Undergird you and strengthen you. And so there's something this man has to, there's a revelation. So he's, he's standing there at this mountain. Oh, and the showdown's going to happen. It's a windstorm. But the Bible says he's not in the wind. And then there was an earthquake. Oh, imagine that. Elijah, Elijah said, well, oh, goodness me, I survived that windstorm. Now the earth begins to quake. Is that's it, that's it. The mountain's coming down on top of me. God's angry at me. This is God's way of punishing me. This is God's way of getting me back from my foolish behavior and my cowardness. Because he ran like a coward. Let's, let's be honest, friends. It's very, I, I, somehow I think maybe Elijah was Catholic as well. Because when I grew up as a young Catholic child, when my mom and dad got converted, that was our view of God. Our view of God was, he was like either a cranky grandfather that could love you one minute and smack you the next minute. You know, you didn't know what, sort of, what, you didn't know what state you'd find him in on whatever day. I remember, in, in, in memory, we lived in Lake Lawn in Douglas years ago. I remember, in memory, my grandmother lived for a while with us and I remember skimming my knee after coming in the door and she said, and I said, oh, granny, and was bleeding. And she said, oh, that's holy God getting you back for being a bold boy. <laughs> and I think, oh, my gosh, you know. that was my, and that's Elijah's view of him. If I mess up, he's just going to swap me one. He's sending the fire upon me. You know, he's sending the wind, first of all. And I dodged the wind, got back into the, to the cave. I'm hiding in the cave now. And then he says, the earthquake, oh no, I better step out again because these rocks are going to fall on me. But he wasn't in the earthquake. And then he said, he's in the fire. Oh, he's here to torch me. Have you ever felt that God, have you ever felt the wrong feeling, because it's not true, that God is going to torch you? Oh, I, 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 and I don't care how fallen you are this morning. This idea that God's going to torch you. You know, and he's there. Oh, there's no use running now. God's got one of those blow torches that will make his way into the cavern. I just better take my medicine, you know, and be ready to take it like a man. I deserve it. The issue is that we all deserve it, friends. But friend, there's a wonderful word that I started with. It's a word called grace, which means undeserved favor of God. You never deserved it. You deserve the fire, the earthquake, the wind, and everything else on top of it. But oh, there was a grace that came to him, and he was not in the fire. Can you see Amen. He was not in the fire. He had to iron out of this man. If you're going to have any longevity in this ministry, you need to know my heart towards you. And the Bible says a still small voice came to him. And he told them, he says, go out and anoint Hazel. 
and anoint Elisha. Go out and go on and get back into the work. And I want to end you with this thought this morning because that's exactly what he did. I I just can't imagine this man. It dawning in him. You know what? When I woke up back in the wilderness, he didn't give out to me there either. He was very kind in his voice. He was very not... It was very lovely how he dealt with me. He didn't say, get up, eat that, and get on your way. He just, eat, arise, the journey's too much for you. Eat it, relax. And then when I got to the mountainside, he didn't, he didn't torch me. And when he gave me instruction, it wasn't say, okay, now I'm giving you a second chance here. Amen? No. He spoke with that tenderness, because that's who he is. He's the father of tenderness. Hallelujah. He's the architect of tenderness. Anyone that has learned to be tender, you've got that intuitively because of the grace of God. Comes from Him. Love, joy, peace, kindness, and meekness, gentleness, self-control are fruits of the Spirit, not the human man. And so He goes. But I want to I want to put this to you this morning because I think the only way to have longevity in in this life as a Christian there's a, there's a secret here. If we go back a few verses where He gave him this food and it said He. He, it lasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He had one meal and it lasted. You know, I'm always doing diets. Well, not really, but I'm waiting for the super shake that comes out that would last, you know, take one shake, it lasts 40 days. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? And I'm thinking about this super food that he ate. Something kept this man going supernaturally. Yes. And, you know, and when I move this story into the new covenant, because these, these stories reveal other truths of the new covenant to us. They do. And I, I think forward in the Gospel of John chapter 4. I won't turn there this morning for time. But this, I'm just bringing this to an end because I think this is very, very important for you and for me. In John chapter 4, it's the famous story that Jesus is going to a Samaritan. He's, by, he's going towards a, a Samaria, towards a Samaritan village. And the Samaritan, a, a, a Jewish rabbi would never have anything to do with the Samaritans. They were looked upon as a, a hybrid of a paganism and, and uh, Judaism and a confused and a dangerous item and unclean in every level and we want nothing to do with you people because you are diluting our nationalism, you're diluting our religion and they were absolutely enemy number one to the Jew on a religious level. And he goes to this village and he stays outside at a well so now you all know the story. And he sends his disciples into the city to get some food and Jesus is sitting there strategically at a well. And it's noonday, the sun is bearing down upon him. I'm sure he's very hungry. I'm sure he's very thirsty, and I'm sure he's very weary from walking there, just like Elijah. And something that this, I'm sure the Savior was also a man. He got hungry, friends. He got thirsty. He got tired. And he's standing at a, he's standing at a well. That's a great thought, because in the, middle of that, in the middle of that day, this woman comes, and she's a serial marriage killer. <laughs> and now she's living with a guy that she's not even married to. So she's an immoral living woman, and everybody knows her. And she comes in the middle of the day to draw water, which is not the time to come because she doesn't want to hang around the other women because they'll shame her publicly of her lifestyle. So she comes in the hottest time of the day. She's drawing water. Jesus is strategically there, and he begins to minister. He asks her for a drink. And, of course, we know the story. And I, a Samaritan, you, Jew, why would you ask me for, for something to drink? And then he begins to converse with her. But she knows that this man's not being antagonistic. See, it's just like Elijah. Elijah. There's something in his voice. There's a kindness in him. And eventually this woman is won by the love of this Savior. And he feels, she feels for the first time in her life, a man is looking at me with a pure look. 
speaking to me with the most purest of words. And she runs back into that Samaritan village and she tells everybody, come and see a man that told me everything about my life. She's an evangelist. She'd come, she'd worshiped at his feet. But this verse I want to leave you with. The disciples, the Bible says, came back out of the, the, the village and offered him some food. And he said, I have food of another source that you know not. And they're looking, did someone bring him food, John? Did you sneak him? Are you trying to browse? Are you trying to get in with Jesus and get back there? And, you know, you know are you trying to be the teacher's pet and smuggle some food before we got back? You're always the, no. There he was. I have food of another source that you know not. And they're looking at him. And this is what he answered him. My food is to do the will of my father. And if you want to have longevity like Elijah did and like Jesus did, get back into the fight and start doing the will of the Father. When you start to do the will of the Father, you know, and, and that's what God ministered to Elijah. says, do my will. Continue, Elijah, continue to do my will. Continue to do what I ask you to do. Get out there and find Jehu, whoever Jehu is, and anoint him today, okay? Find Elisha and anoint him. Whoever Elisha is to you, anoint him. The Spirit of God is upon me, the Bible says, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Just like Elisha, Elijah had that superfood, I want to tell you, God has given you superfood. And without that food, without having the food of good works, let your light so shine before men that they would see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Without that, friends, you are one step away from praying for death because all you have in your life is your bank balance and your career and a few people around you, and it will not sustain you any length of time. But when you say, my will, my food, my strength comes from doing the will of the Lord, then it is God's supernatural provision for you. It is God's overarching support of your life. It's God undergirding, coming around, blessing and helping to lift you, to, have, to run a good race and to finish strongly. So I'm going to say to any backslider, anyone that's tepid this morning, anyone that's fallen out of the race, he still loves you. Now get back into the race. Start doing the will of the Lord again. Amen. And that strength will just undergird you and will lift you to a new place. Can you say amen this morning? Oh, hallelujah. That's your fix this morning. That's the fix for your life. Now stand with me as we worship this morning and say in your heart, oh God, I know you love me and I'm back in the race to do your will. And as you find someone to anoint with the gospel, Someone to share the love of God with this morning. Some hungry soul, some needy person. And as you begin to pour your heart towards them and show them the love of God, I want to tell you God will fill you with a food that nobody knows about. Super food. Oh, I want to tell you it will get you many days, many years. It will get you many years, John. Not days, years. But the very minute you stop doing the will of God, you become anorexic. The very minute you stop doing the will of God, you're just down to the base elements. And I want to tell you, they lead you to very dark places. May God bring you back from that dark place of self-indulgence and about feathering myself and to say, my food is to, just like Elijah, to do the will of God. Oh, God, this morning, touch us this morning. Please, God, touch me. Just say, Lord, please touch me. Please revive me, God. Please help me to get back into this race, to finish well, to do the will of the Father. Ask the Lord, raise your hands as a plea to the Lord and say, oh, God, I so want to do your will. I want to abide many days, God. I want to 
I want to live, Lord God. I want to, I want to live this life gloriously, Lord. I want to live this life powerfully, Lord. I don't want to be, Lord, known as the person that backs in or the person, Lord, that, that dropped out of the race or the person that ran right, running into the wilderness and that's all they ever heard of him again. That's not what God wants for you either. So get it clear. That's not what God's plan is for you. God's plan is to say, arise and eat. And by eating, you just get up and start to share me again. And as you do, I will feed your soul. I will satisfy your mouth with good things. I will protect you. I'll undergird you. And that is God's promise for your life and for my life. May God help you this morning. As we worship the Lord in this song, I know it went on a bit this morning, folks. But I really feel from the Lord this is a word for us. Our will. My food. Come on, say with me. My food is to do the will of my Father. My food is to do the will of my Father. Hallelujah. You're going to get many days from that. Many years. You'll finish, you'll finish strong. You'll finish with a distinguished servant of the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions at all, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.